Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays Amin's floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get Amin in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. 
Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Tom, worst in-game injury you've ever suffered. I raced down Okemo Mountain. My buddy Charlie raced down a skiing slope and broke my arm, my humerus bone up at the top. They thought that I dislocated it, and so they put it in a really terrible sling. Worst pain that I've had in an athletic competition, and it was just terrible. Memorial Day weekend in quarantine. I'm doing one of my favorite chicken dishes, which requires searing the skin and then putting the entire skillet into the oven in 450 degrees and then taking it out and finishing it again on the stovetop. Except when you take out a 450 degree pan from a 450 degree oven, if you use your bare hand, Tom, oh no, not fun. Because what happens is you then spend Saturday night of Memorial Day weekend on your couch holding an ice bag for 12 straight hours rummaging and finding a few painkillers in the house. And then you can't actually sleep because you have to continue to hold the ice until morning. And so you watch like seven episodes back to back of Mad Men. That's what the money is for. This is Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. And I'm Tom Haberstroh. Tom, this might be one of my all-time favorite episodes the tournament of tofu we got brackets we got double elimination we got the last chance kitchen finale we have so much to talk about we don't have much time to do it in um i thought this was an episode for the ages totally disagree totally disagree i thought it was way too much too much going on. Maybe I'm coupling this with Last Chance Kitchen because we are going to talk about not just the previous episode's Last Chance Kitchen, but because we watched this on Thursday night, we were able to do the double Last Chance Kitchen and watch that. It was just overload for me. There was no winner in this episode. The loser's bracket was confusing. I thought it was just too much going on and we'll get into it, but I thought the scoring system was off. Kevin, I just thought... They kind of got drunk on their own top chefiness. Like I thought there was just too much. I'm shocked to hear you say this. You're a man who loves brackets. I know. I thought there was game strategy here. Now let's set aside Last Chance Kitchen, which is, as you know, we think is a beautiful product. I agree. A lot going on in Last Chance Kitchen they had to do. But just starting with the sort of the Chipotle bowl yeah. and then going into the tournament of tofu, you know, I often have apprehensions about these sort of heads up Top Chef Elimination Challenges where it's sort of arbitrary. You're going against just the chef you went against so that you have two really good competitors. One of them has to lose even though they have the better dish than the person who won the next pairing. But I thought this made a lot of sense with the different kinds of tofu. The setting was gorgeous. I got to tell you, man, I really loved all the machinations. Let's set aside Last Chance Kitchen. Let's start with Quick Fire. We got the Chipotle tourney. Now, I'm not a Chipotle man myself because cilantro is hell. We have three pairings. They have to go. Wait, wait, you're not, you're not a fan of Chipotle the eater. Yeah, Chipotle, I like Chipotle the, the, the pepper I'm okay with because it's kind of smoky and nice. Right, right. Okay. I have a degree of appreciation for Chipotle, the concept, fast casual thing. I just am not like – Every time I've gone there and not wanted cilantro, I still get cilantro and I kind of just gave it up. Also, I live in Los Angeles. What do I need it for? <laughs> it sneaks in there, doesn't it? So the judges give off some criteria. They want Shota versus Maria, tart and spicy 
is the parameter. Mm-hmm. They go Don versus Byron, tangy, crunchy. Jamie versus Gabe, smoky and charred. So each of these pairs of chefs has to kind of conform to the you know very general taste profile, and then they get going. Of those three, which one would you want to eat? Oh, I'm a smoky and charred guy. Totally with you on this. I love smoky Mexican food, like those smoky black bean dips. I like smoke in my Mexican food. I like smoke in everything. I don't smoke cig. I never smoke cigarettes, but like I'm a campfire guy. Like you know those new outdoor bonfire pits, those fire pits that are smokeless fire pits? Yes. I hate it. I'm like, I kind of like the little smell of the campfire smoke on me. I mean, I was going to get one of those in this landscaping project would do, but I live on a hillside in Los Angeles. Like I would be the guy who burns down the whole metropolitan (laughs) area. I do feel you. I I would love one of those in my backyard, so provided I didn't have to be the one supervising it. Right. When Gail said it, I was like, that is the flavor profile I want. Mm -hmm. And in these matchups, Kevin, with Shoda and Maria – I thought that Shota, that was the biggest upset, was like Maria with the with the Chipotle setup. I just thought that this was going to be her running away with this. And Shota almost like taste of her own medicine just beats her in this. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because this is the first of two Shota versus Maria matchups. The first is very much on her home turf. The second, we'll find out later in the elimination challenges on his home turf. And it didn't seem like home court really provided much of an advantage. No, no. I'm not sure where I fall on the fried avocado thing. I don't know if the textures work there. Do, do you have a, an opinion on fried avocado? Frying is fun because it's it- – provides richness. I mean, what's better than fried food? To me, avocado isn't something that needs to be fried. It's sort of like pork belly. Like it's so naturally fatty in the best kind of way that the frying of it just doesn't enhance the fattiness and the richness. It only kind of obscures its sort of natural fatness. I'm I'm sort of, I don't get frying avocado. There are a lot of like in the tempura event where let's fry everything. There are things that I just don't think benefit from being fried, and avocado, because it's so rich, is one of them. Yeah, Shota comes in with with the upset there, and then Don and Byron feeding Tom there. They had the tangy and crunchy and the moho pork that Byron put together, and then Don did the seared chop with peppercorns and the puree. Man, both of those looked really good, and and I'm not surprised that Don came out with the victory there. So apparently, she nailed the protein in a way he didn't, and she got the crunch in a way he didn't. Again, Further evidence, and Dawn wins this quick fire with this dish. Again, she has not cooked a bad dish in season 18. Has not cooked a bad dish. Quick fire, elimination, team, individual. Has not cooked a bad dish, Tom. No, and you know she hadn't won a quick fire yet, and she comes in with the victory here. I was sitting there just being like, they just did a little little segment about her brother and the Olympian. I'm feeling a little weird about Don in the entry of this episode, but there was a lot of Don to get into here, and she comes out with the first quick fire victory. She's no Brian Voltaggio here. She might be an excellent top chef, but she doesn't have a blind spot for quick fire. She gets over the hump. She nails the a quick fire win. So congrats to to Don on that. Yeah, cooking your ass off. It's been this way for many weeks and there is a real Gregory quality to her food, the way she builds a dish. She starts with a primary component of protein and then she sort of adds elements of spice, tart, texture. There's nothing complicated about her dishes. This is not molecular gastronomy with bells and whistles and gimmicks. Right. But it is creative. She is very similar to Gregory in the way she builds a dish. 
it's just becoming more and more impressive by the week. The final tandem were Jamie and Gabe. That was your Smokey and Chard. That was the cooking for Gale division. Jamie Kinzo, the grilled skirt steak with a smoked corn tatia salsa. Gabe does his roasted pork loin with a smoked jalapeno salsa. Very similar dishes. Gabe does come on top there, does he not? Yeah, he does. And I, I'm curious, isn't bay leaf something you're not supposed to eat? So he does a bay leaf puree. Can you can you walk me through that, Kevin? Yeah, bay leaf is something you kind of, it's often a recipe we'll call for it for, for balance. Like it's often in a brine. It just kind of, I, I think, kind of rounds off some of the rough edges and a solution like that. So I don't understand. Like, I guess you can make oil out of anything. Yeah. And that might have been sort of the thing. That's a really good question. Yeah, I was surprised by that. Because I've never known it to be anything other than sort of, hey, this thing I put in a brine or to kind of mellow a gumbo. Like, that's always where I see it. So I have no earthly idea of what it provided in that particular thing. And so actually, readers, viewers, listeners, please let us know if you know in what capacity Gabe was using his bay leaf magic. Would you consider this a foreshadowing of the finale when you have Shota, Don, and Gabe winning this quickfire? See, that's what I thought because I think those were the morning line favorites, right? Like if I told you in the Chipotle tourney or the Chipotle bowl, here are the three pairings. I think if you're just going with the morning line favorites, we're talking Shota, Don, and Gabe, right? Yeah, yeah. And I don't think it's close. As it would turn out, it wasn't exactly how it played out in the wonderful tournament of tofu. Again, I know we have some differences here. I love medium, extra firm, and firm or sort of the three divisions. So what I like about it is often, again, I have an issue with this head-to-head. Like it's just arbitrary. If they're all doing the same thing, they weren't doing the same thing. They had different products to work with. Then you get kind of the winners move on. The one question I had, Tom, is were you surprised when all this turned over, they didn't name the best overall dish? So the three winners, they didn't say of the three winners, this is, you know, Jamie had the best dish for her bun so or something. This is another problem I had with the episode is that there wasn't a winner. I know the elimination challenge isn't the winner's challenge. Like we do it to eliminate someone, but I can't remember a time where they just straight up didn't give us a winner. And it wasn't because the dishes were bad. It was just because they ran out of time, I guess. I probably ran out of time. But that was the one thing that confounded me on this is the one criticism I had is it probably would have been Jamie. There were three matchups. Two of them were split down the middle, five and five. Jamie won hers nine to one. By the way, I found that very interesting. And we'll get to that, actually. Let's go through the the pairings again. Yeah. This time, it's a turn of tables, right? Because Shota's against Maria. However, this time, Mm. it's Tofu played in a Japanese garden. So this is the ultimate home court for Chef Shota. His food, food he's worked with a million times. And Maria doesn't have a lot of experience with sort of classical Japanese. And yet her soy braised tamale, she's using masa. She even brings masa into the tamale. (laughs) She is going to go as Mexican as she can get, still incorporating the the overall challenge, the soy. Shota does his like like soy 17 ways, this beautiful (laughs) soy braised tofu. He's got the soy milk tofu skin, the yuba. He's got tofu crumbles. And yet when it is all over. The 10 judges, which included a bunch of our Top Chef alums. We got Ed Lee in there. We got Richard Blaze's back, Kwame, and they go five and five. Hate this. Five and five. I hate this because if you're going to do a voting system, you have to come out with odds. You have to have nine or seven judges because then we're going to get this tie and then they huddle up and it's awkward. And maybe this is why, Kevin. Maybe this is why they didn't have an eventual winner because they're too busy doing these sidebars. You are just breaking the tie. You are Debbie Downer today. (laughs) You're enjoying your day. Everything's going your way. Been a 
along comes Debbie Downer. Always there to tell you about a new disease, a car accident, or killer bees. We'll beg her to spare you, Debbie, please, but you can't stop Debbie Downer. You hated this episode, Tom Maverick. I did. I thought it was half big. You hated this episode. We're going to have every chef have a vote, but we're not going to have a deciding vote. Like, you have to come up with odds, not even number of chefs, and so that you don't have this sidebar. And, like, I get it. You want to include as many Top Chef alums as you can, but I just felt like this was, oh, shit, five and five. What, what do we do now? See, I liked the 12 Angry Men quality to the deliberation. I kind of like them going to different sides of the room and then kind of making their case. Like I kind of, maybe I'm just like, it it was, it was all very, uh, I don't know. It was all very Jewish. It was this very Talmudic, like these, these people arguing about, (laughs) about finer details of, of, of the compositions of each dude. I loved this. Wouldn't it be cool, Kevin, if you could see who turned like who went on the other side of the aisle? Like that would have been cool. It's like, you know, Richard Blaze says like, you know what? You're right. I, I didn't consider that. And I'm, I'm going to go Team Jamie here. Well, see, this was my interpretation of the first division, which was over Shota versus Maria. At the end of the day, you know, Tom was just adamant. Like you could just tell, like, like at the end of the day, it's he and Padden are probably the most important two of the 10 judges. And he was like, the masa was mush. Like, <laughs> this is a tofu challenge. Get real, people. We're going to take Shota over Maria. Come on. And then the second one I interpreted as, we'll go the five on five that was Dawn versus Gabe was. It was Jamie and Byron, I think, were five on five. No, 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 no. I believe it was Byron Jamie was nine to one. In oh. Fact, with, with, but I, we'll get right. to that in a second. Oh, no, no. That was the fried tofu. Right. See, this is why this episode, there's so much. Okay, I'm a little confused here. Okay, you're right. (laughs) I think Jamie and Byron had a tie because it was the second, that was the second one on the show, right? They did Shoda and Maria. No, no, then it was Dawn and Gabe who had the tie. Oh, wait. Right, because it was West Indian stew tofu versus Gabe's marinated braised tofu. And Dale said he just, he didn't braise it. He just dropped it in the liquid. So that was the big deliberation there. You're right. But the point I'm making is, is so my interpretation of that five on five was that Gail, Padma, and Tom were all on the same side, which is Gabe's side. Mm. And there was no way that the side, the five on five side that included the two primary hosts and, and the supporting host were ever going to lose to a bunch of Top Chef returnees. Some of which had never even won the tournament. Come on. You're saying there's little weighted votes. It's a 1.5 on a vote. On a more serious note, the one thing that it did impress upon me is that it was an interesting window into how close some of these votes are. Like, it was kind of the conversation we had with Blaze earlier in the season. It was the winning dish, and he just did not get it. Yeah, there was there was a dish that it seemed like everyone loved, but Blaze wasn't feeling it. I found this to be a very interesting episode in that it makes me wonder just – a lot of these calls they make are not that decisive. There are often real differences in opinion. I mean, there were 10 really talented chefs up there, and five of them came out in a completely different place than the other five. For Tom, it was clearly unthinkable that Maria's dish approached the elegance and, and coherence of Shota's. And yet for half of them, that wasn't the case at all. And it just it was a really interesting window in just to how divisive some of this stuff is. We take it almost as an article of faith that the vote is the vote, that it was decisive, that a win is a win. And it's clear that it just doesn't work that way. You know, I hadn't considered that, but that's a great point. And so, you know what? There is a silver lining to this episode, Kevin. There's a lot less consensus than I think we believe there is in Top Chef in the consensus formation process 
is really complicated. So that second five and five was Don's West Indian stewed tofu. Gabe had his marinated braised tofu with his lovely uh, rich miso with cabbages and soybeans. He wins the split decision. We get to extra firm, and it, Jamie makes what seems to be the best uh, dish of the day. She makes bun so, which are these little Vietnamese pancakes. They're these cute little things. They're great. I mean, and she makes this pancake with soy milk, not just water as normal. She does soft uh, sauteed tofu and these fresh herbs. It looked like the cutest little jewel of a dish. Um, I think Dale said that he could have eaten 12 of them. Yeah. Up against Byron's pan seared tofu with daikon and a tofu vinaigrette, which seemed perfectly competent, but but a completely a dish I had no interest in eating or tasting. So Jamie wins decisively, the only of the six chefs that wins decisively in the round one. So Maria loses, Dawn loses, Byron loses. They get thrown into the loser's bracket. They do a cook-off, all three of them, for fried tofu. Real quick on Jamie, it really showed that she loves tofu. She talked about it. She felt like she was like Forrest Gump, which I think she meant Bubba from Forrest Gump. Anyway, like I was saying, shrimp is the fruit of the sea. You can barbecue it, boil it, broil it, bake it, saute it. There's um, shrimp kebabs, shrimp creole, shrimp gumbo, pan fried, deep fried, stir fried. There's pineapple shrimp, lemon shrimp, Coconut shrimp, pepper shrimp, shrimp soup, shrimp stew, shrimp salad, shrimp and potatoes, shrimp burger, shrimp sandwich. That's that's about it. Jamie just looked like she was uh, in her element. And I, I thought you're right. Is that she? If they did decide a winner, it seemed like she was going to win that 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 competition. So I actually kept her at five points, Kevin, rather than the ten. Um, and I actually I, I went and consulted the Wikipedia, and they agreed that there wasn't a, a clear winner in this episode. And so I gave points to Shoda, Jamie, and Gabe in this one. And then we go into the losers bracket with Maria, Dawn, and Byron, and we have the biggest. Uh, injury dq that i can remember uh in this season it was wow. it was a big deal yeah tom it was really stressful to watch hey i feel very <laughs> vested in dawn right now she's on my team but also i really just like she's one of my favorite chef contestants of recent years i i love her food i love like i'm also she's also she has this She's unpredictable, right? Like there's always this tension in watching her, even though you know she hasn't cooked a bad plate all season where like she doesn't know exactly what she's doing. She's kind of winging it. So like it's not the sort of control where, you know, when you watch Gregory and this is where she's very different than Gregory or Voltaggio or anybody else, you always know they are working methodically. Like they know exactly what they're doing. And with Dawn, part of just it's not just that she's cooking great food. It's that there's always this little doubt in your head. Like, is she going to get it on the plate? Does she know what she's doing? Do her teammates know what she's doing? Nobody really knows what she's doing except her. And then it just produces this beautiful outcome. But here, you know, she's doing a Nashville hot tofu, which Tom, how how brilliant is Nashville hot tofu? I love the idea, and it was like, oh, I'm not a huge tofu fan. Like, I, it's not like when they when they offer it or something that I'm like, ah, this is just this 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 doesn't feel like uh, a real meal here. I'm not as a seasoned veteran of tofu food, so I actually really appreciated the episode, uh, the historical, you know, kind of behind the scenes at Oda Tofu, the oldest tofu maker in America. Um, that's in Portland. 
And so when she said the hot tofu Nashville style, that was the first one where I was like, oh, yeah, I would totally eat the crap out of that. And then when she goes, and it just seemed a little bland in color, so I wanted to go with radishes. Kevin, as soon as she said that. Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer. And I'm here to talk to you about Butcher Box. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com slash dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. Hello, listener. I'm sure you don't need me to tell you that we at Cinephobe love our pets. Zach and Boogie are inseparable. I've got two cats and a dog. And Amin is giving his best ass on performance to convince dog owners that he loves their pet. Hey, Noodle. Hey, boy. How you doing? And Noodle's just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Which is why today's episode is sponsored by the ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program. For many pet parents, summer is all about making travel plans like adventuring through the national parks, visiting pet-friendly beaches, or road tripping across the country. Wherever your journeys take you and your furry friend, you can help protect them along the way with the plan from ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are, because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim, and you'll receive reimbursement for your eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash dings, D-I-N-G-S. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash dings. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash dings. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy 
happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I was like, I wonder what... That, that seems like a very specific detail that they normally don't put on the on the show that makes the final cut. There's got to be something to this. And then, boom, the injury happens. And Those I, mandolins. I cringe, man. Those mandolin things. I cringe every time. These chefs, even though they're pros... Look, I use one occasionally. They're scary, those mandolin things, and, and they're um, they're tough. I mean, I'm with you on tofu in the sense that I don't seek it out. I do love it at like a classical Japanese place. Like, um, have you gone and drink summer league in Vegas? Did you ever go to Raku? Did we ever do that together? No, um, no. That Japanese place in that little shopping center on Spring Mountain. Like they do their classical just – and I think to a lot of people it would just be bland, but there's just this beautiful, delicate texture. It's just so silky and I love it there, but I don't I don't order a lot. But that Nashville hot tofu, I felt terrible because you know she slices her finger, blood gets in the radishes, and then apparently some of the blood drips into a couple of the plates, meaning she can't serve all 10 judges. <laughs> and by virtue of that, by virtue of not getting 10 plates out, she is DQ'd even though – I, I, what, what was it? Was it Ed who actually said, "Hey, in protest, can I can I vote for her? I don't. I'm not buying this rule because he got one of the eight plates." And Ed Lee, you know, but but Padma was very firm. And yeah, she was she was not going to be included. Maria's fried tofu steak with the Asian mole looked delicious. It was clear she had the best dish uh, among among uh, her and Byron, who did fried tofu with grilled shrimp and a smoked tofu puree. Um, now, what was interesting here is the vote was nine to one, and who was the lone vote? I cannot wait if we get a chance to ask her this. Gail Simmons was the lone vote for Byron. She is the John Marshall Harlan of Top (laughs) Chef. Do you know who John Marshall Harlan was, Tom? I don't, but please educate me. Great Supreme Court Justice John Marshall Harlan, who, by the way, dissenting vote in in Plessy versus Ferguson, like had real issues with some of the really awful uh, segregationist law that was being pumped out of, of of this country in the late 19th century. And he was known as the great dissenter. He was like the one in all the, the one dissenter in more cases, I think, than anybody else. But he was known as the great dissenter. He is so Gail Simmons, you are the John Marshall Harlan of Top Chef. <laughs> I'm sure she'll appreciate that when you ask about that. I was I was like sitting there being like um, yeah, who who was that that dissenter there? Oh, I froze the screen, Tom, and there's Gail defiantly. Like she believed she felt like Byron had the best, better dish, that her his fried tofu was better than Maria's. No one else agreed with her, and she was gonna go. And I that that is that is the John Marshall Harlan way to go there. So then there's like a little Russian doll here thing effect where like now we go on to the next one, which is uh the the dessert portion with Maria and uh or sorry, uh it goes Byron uh, and then Don go into the the next the next competition for dessert with soft tofu. This is the elimination round. There is nowhere else to drop into, and they both are doing. And I think it comes as no surprise. I mean, there are only so many ways to kind of do a tofu dessert. I mean, uh, 
you know, I guess you could have done like a little tiramisu or something, but they both opt for a tofu custard with mango and um, okara crumble. Okara was that kind of very mealy stuff that you saw when they went to the, to the, the thing and, and they kind of made that into a crumble. And they both did a very similar dish. Um, Byron's was definitely a more elegant composition. Dawn did this kind of aerated tofu on top, which gave it uh, some intrigue. We didn't get to see the vote here. Um, what was interesting is I was very fearful for Dawn because – I mean, you could see on the sidelines the chefs who had already survived sort of saying, is she thrown in the towel? She kind of looks like, you know, she she sort of given up. I think it was in the words of, of somebody. I forget who it was. But uh, this is um, this was a very stressful moment. Yeah. I mean, she really – she had like that sesame cookie. She, she really – I think when you all said and done, the fact that she overcame this injury – I don't know if that kind of gave her a little bit of um, sentimental, just uh, goodwill vote here, where it was just like, man, if you if you if this is a tie, maybe that's a tiebreaker. I actually think um, when they were both crying up there, it reminded me the camaraderie that we've seen. We've seen little pockets of it here, Kevin, and how much camaraderie they do have with these chefs. It's not quite the all star season uh, where they're living in the same house. It might be a little bit different this year, but when you saw them rally for dawn when she cut herself padma called it like a beautiful moment and i and i agree it was cool to see that they all pitched in knowing that like dawn you know like this is probably an injury they've suffered hundreds of times in their chef career and it sucks and you know there was there was a moment where i was like wow we've seen maria cry on every episode but now we have dawn and byron kind of weeping talking about how proud they are of, of being this far in the competition and they're not even in the finale yet and they know that there's huge stakes here and when she when Padma says uh you know Byron pack your knives and go I was kind of surprised I thought Dawn it was it was a dead heat I felt like and and again I'm curious to see what that breakdown looked like very similar dishes um but yeah, Dawn stays and Maria, of course, later starts crying when Byron has to go. Um, they are very close. And, you know, Kevin, like I guess my my big beef with this episode is there was just – it just felt like not rushed, but there was there was a lot going on and it didn't feel complete to me. It felt like they had this tournament idea and they rammed it down our throats and it just felt like, oh, we ran out of time here. I am. I, I disagree. I just thought there was. I think there was so much. There was constant drama. Just constant drama. Uh, I will say that I've never been more frustrated with the show's one limitation, which we've talked about over the years, which is you can't taste the food. Right. This was a classic situation um, where you know you're looking at those two dishes. They are very similar. Those two desserts, and you know I'm rooting for Dawn not because I know hers is better, because I have absolutely no idea. Because sentimentally, as you say. Um, that's uh that that was my compulsion and and I, I just really into her story right now but you didn't know like there's no way to know there's no way to know but ultimately uh she survives byron doesn't um he goes home or rather to last chance kitchen for the final push we don't have a winner again that is i agree with you on that like it's, it's bizarre to me that they didn't name either gabe um Shota or Jamie, the winner for the episode, probably Jamie. But um, Byron is down in LCK facing Sarah in the last 
installment or convention, like kind of of normal LCK before you get that crazy thing they always do right before you jump back in. But the, the last is a bento box. Let's back up for a second. No pun intended, because I don't think we covered the Chris and Sarah um, last chance kitchen, the, the head to head that they had a couple episodes ago. I just want to hit on this. I don't know why I feel like such a hater here, but I didn't like the the BMW, uh, the little like ten laps uh, race that Tom had to do, but and and it was undetermined how much time they had to cook their dishes. I you know they gotta bring in some synergy with their sponsor. I get that, but it just seemed a little gimmicky and a little corny. The whole uh, they're ten laps. Who knows how long you have to cook? And then here he's gonna come in and walk in, and there's this like dramatic walk and. Um, we, we don't have to spend much time on that one, but it was, uh, you know, I really think that Sarah, it's so funny to watch her cook because it seems like she just doesn't know what she wants to do. And then at the end, you're like, oh, my God, what an amazing dish. And she does that that turnip, Kevin, which you said, I've never had a good turnip dish. And here she goes with this uh, veggie forward turnip miso uh, with with all sorts of really cool pickled beef braised turnips in there. It was um I, I didn't think Chris had a chance against Sarah in this in this battle here because Sarah's just so good and she comes out with the with the victory and the head to head with Chris with the agua chile and, and halibut which seemed like pretty fine dish but Sarah moves on to get into this finale at Last Chance Kitchen you know for all of her giggly self deprecation. She was kind of mean. Whoa. I mean, you saw him like after she won, like it was really good beating Chris. He should have gone home instead of me, you know, in the preview. <laughs> like, like for oh. all of her sweet aw shucksiness, and I've been a huge Sarah fan and continue to be, like that was a little, you know, like that kind of came as a surprise to me. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. I uh I guess you're right. I didn't I didn't pick up on that, but yeah, I mean they're they're both on your team, aren't they? Like they gotta, yes. They can't be so so mean to each other. Gotta disarm me a little bit. So what happens next, Tom? We get back to the finale. It is Sarah versus Byron. A great matchup in a a form that I love, which is the bento box. They're so cute, Tom. There's nothing cuter than a bento box. You open that lid and it's it is a little jewel box. You get a little fish. You got a little like soba noodle over here. You got a little pickles over there. You got like what is better than a bento box? Speaking of cute, Kevin, both my daughters have bento boxes that like are really big with the kids these days. It's just like these plastic, uh, you know, hardware where you, you bring them to school. Instead of a lunchbox, you give your kids bento boxes. And so that's really big these days. Bent goes, I think it's what it's called. And so every day, um, Allison makes uh, bento boxes for the girls. And it's just like a peanut butter sandwich in one thing and then some goldfish in the other and some great sliced grapes over here. I should have been a kid today. I would have had bento boxes. I never would have gotten disciplined for anything. And all of my flaws would have been considered assets. Um, <laughs> well, how great is it to grow up today in this generation? You just basically every one of your, you know, your compul your your impulses gets indulged at every moment, including bento box love. Yep. So it, the bento box is fantastic, and uh, Naomi here in, here in Miami. Oh, the best, the best. Uh, Kevin, we've we've done that that meal together, I believe, and and it's just it's so good. One day that that shall happen again. Naoe is the spelling, folks. It is it is honestly, I think one of my five or ten favorite restaurants in America. It is just such a great experience. But anyway. I didn't have a ton of notes on this one, but just the fact that uh, Byron going against uh, Sarah, I thought he was the heavy underdog going into this matchup. What would you think? 
Yeah, so did I. And I, and I think the secret was is Sarah, you know, bento, ba- there, there's a certain cleanliness I think you want to a bento. It needs to be really focused. I mean, Japanese cooking in general, you don't color outside the lines very much. And I thought he just kept it really smart. A tataki salmon, right? Like, um, you know, she did a couple of really interesting things, quail egg with uni cream, but ultimately it was her green, uh, green tea rice, which just didn't have, you know, he did, uh, and it just didn't, it tasted watery. Um, it didn't have any flavor. Yeah. She went a little bit, I think her, her creativity may have gotten the best of her. I think Byron is one of the more conservative chefs in the competition, that was rewarded here. So, so he moved on, you know, for the, for someone who said his biggest problem is editing. I thought he did an amazing job editing. Oh yeah. On this one. And that, and that really saved the day for him is just having something that was clean focused. And I know that Sarah might be more inventive with her dishes, but I, when I saw that quail egg dish with the uni paste on top or uni sauce, those are things you and I love, but like, like in contrast, like his umiboshi glaze on a tataki piece of salmon. Like that's what I want in a bento box. I'm imagining that's what Tom wants in a bento box, right? Like like he just he he got the challenge and in a way that she didn't. She put four things that are were kind of remotely Japanese in a box. He did a bento box. Yeah. So I was stunned by this. This was a huge upset. I was sad to see Sarah go because I, in my head, from Malarkey saying she's going to win the whole thing, I kind of just felt like she was going to waltz her way back into the competition. And Byron, he moves on and advances to the finale of Last Chance Kitchen, which was like a 30-minute episode. And Kevin, I got to say, a lot of curveballs as they always do with the with the Last Chance Kitchen finale. But I got to hand it to Byron. He must have been so exhausted. Oh, man. After beating out Sarah and coming off the elimination. I mean, this is this is quite, quite the bricks on his shoulders here. The remaining chefs, the five of them, each come in. They put together a box of 10 items. And then Byron has to choose three of the five boxes that correspond to each one of the chefs. And then he's going to have a best of three cook-off. In other words... He will face Chef 1 in their box, Chef 2 in their box, Chef 3 in their box. If he wins two of those three matchups, he will go back to the competition. If he doesn't, he does not go. So this is this is an interesting case. It's not it, – it's I don't know that we've had – have we had this where either you go or you don't go before? I think maybe. But but this was interesting. So, you know, he goes with Gabe. Didn't like it. I, I didn't love it either, um, though I do want it to be hard for chefs to get back in in general. And we've had that philosophical conversation many times what i didn't like is what you presented in the last episode last uh last podcast we did where you said like as someone who's worked with tv shows before the fact that if there's a a best of three um and and the chef wins or loses the first one you kind of know that he's gonna win the second one and so that's that's one of the you know I'm picking nitpicking here, but when when he loses the first round against Gabe and there was still a bunch of time left in the episode, you kind of know what's going to happen here is he's going to advance because he wins the next one. And then there's the the ultimate showdown. And like, look, I know that they they got to They got to fill time and, and there's nothing that we can really do about that. But I did kind of feel like if you're watching the clock a little bit, you can kind of reverse engineer how this episode is going to go. Yeah, yeah, again, I mean, the next time we see a best of three that goes 2-0 will be the first in any form, right? Like, there, there's almost a guarantee. It's like they, they had to count backwards last time to get that, but they did it, right? Ultimately, he he loses to Gabe and in the first box. 
Maria, kind of a very, you know, Mexican focused, they do both do beautiful steak dishes um, with sort of a, you know, with, with salsas. And, um, and then ultimately it comes down to Jamie. And so Jamie is what stands between Byron's return to the competition as, again, just basically reversing the, the previous week in the sense that rather than being the sixth drop, he goes right back in or the five remaining uh, chefs moving on as, as, as initially planned. And, and so uh, it's a really nip and tuck competition against Jamie. Yeah. And Jamie just brings down the hammer talking smack. You can't handle the, the truth. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. She's so much fun to watch. And like, it did feel like um, when all the different elements with the noodles uh, that Byron was working at a little bit of disadvantage there. And it turns out that the noodles were too gummy. They looked almost identical to two dishes, the pork dishes that they presented. Um, and they were both really spicy. Uh, you know, Byron tried to try to lower the heat a little bit on the dial, but um, actually it seemed like Jamie's was, was maybe almost too hot for, for Kristen. And she ends up uh, actually validating herself and i was like thinking to myself they're not gonna just have byron go through all of this and then have him lose like see, that was felt, my thought too i have kind of respect for that like lebron and cleveland like when he said he was going down to miami they're not going to do a whole tv show for lebron to 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 say f you to cleveland and move on like they're they're not going to do that and sure enough like that's exactly what happened look there were two technical components on that dish can you nail the protein can you nail the noodle Right. Those are things uh, where the variance is great. Like well cooked pork is wonderful. Dry pork is dry. Noodles, same thing. The noodles are lovely or they're gummy or they're undercooked or overcooked. And at the end of the day, he lost the pork competition. He lost the noodle competition, even though Jamie probably dialed up the spice a little too much. His was much more in the preferred range of the judges. But that's but that's it, Tom. And and as a result, after all that, <laughs> their last chance kitchen produced no returnee. <laughs> um, it's as if it, well, actually that's not true because Jamie is the, but it's funny. The returnee ended up happening very early in the season rather than happening traditionally where it's happened, which is, you know, they, they just grind through seven or eight different competitions until they come out on top. Uh, I don't know that I love that. I still, I think prefer, I don't love the early returnee, uh, as much as I love Jamie and let, watching her cook and think she's a great contestant here i i think in future seasons at least my personal preference would be i i like it all like i love last chance kitchen but you got to ride it out you can't just kind of pop back in if you're going to have one person return they should return right at the end it should truly be a loser's bracket that tests endurance resourcefulness and all the rest of it you you show that you can cook great food for multiple 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 weeks before you you know get re- get reversed and have your loss reversed yeah, I think there was a certain cosmic balance to the fact that Jamie was the one to knock out Byron, as you said, because she got back into the competition. Um, and she she kind of like danced on his grave a little bit in ways that uh, I raised my eyebrows a little bit. Um, and Byron goes home and Jamie's back in the co- – well, not back, but she, she – uh, she keeps it to five chefs. And I honestly think, Kevin, um, with the exception of Sarah, I'm really pleased with this final five. Uh, here on Top Chef. Very much so. Very much so. I really like it. Closing thoughts as we head into the final five, Tom. I feel like uh, I need to like do a palate cleanser after that one. I feel like I I'm, I was maybe a little unfair is how harsh I was. I think you were terribly unfair. It was a beautiful <laughs> tournament of competition um, in a gorgeous setting. Um, 
a food neither of us gravitates to, but probably should. In fact, I have a little, you know, I'm kind of tofu curious this week. I might head to Matsua and get some, uh, get some tofu of my own and, and play around. One thought here, I did have this written down and I want to get your opinion. I kind of love when they have to do that like saran wrap spinning of that, uh, <laughs> whatever the table, the thing that they, the the, the cart that they kind of like do the saran wrap spin. Isn't that like a, a, a real skill, like an event? They should do an event of like the saran wrap spin. It is always like a, a delightful little part of the show. Right. Like the kind of the non-cooking sort of strangely like ergonomically weird tasks that you have to do in a kitchen that like aren't even food related. They should do sometime. Um, yeah, that, that would be cool. Like, like standing on top of a step ladder because you put the freaking roasting pan way the hell up and now you have to do it <laughs> and there's no one home to help you and kind of thing like those, those things that actually happen all the time, but we never actually see on the show. Yeah. I feel like there's a real skill, like an athleticism to doing that saran wrap spin. And, uh, I, I just always love watching them do that. So, um, Kevin, here we go. Uh, the last chance kitchen is done. And we have a final grouping of Shoda, Don, Gabe, uh, Jamie, and Maria. Um, so final standings here as we go into the final uh, here. We have Shota with 59 overall points. And then Gabe with 51 and Don with 49. And then coming up behind that, you have Jamie with 29 points and Maria with 26. So do you feel like those point allocations are fairly representative of their strength going into this last stretch? I, I think it is. With, although, you know, I, I would have Dawn right up there with Shota and Gabe, maybe even a little over Gabe. There's one chef in this competition who's not cooked a bad plate yet, and that chef is Dawn. We shall see. It, it, none of it matters. Throw out the stats. Throw out the regular season, Tom. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm going to say my my underdog here, I think Jamie might might surprise us here um, at the end. I just think that she's got a lot of unfulfilled potential here that she's going to come through. So we'll see. I thought this was a little bit of a clunker of, of an episode. Um, maybe it was just a, a lot of Last Chance Kitchen tournament style and going on. But I am so excited about what's next. For Tom Haberstroh, this is Kevin Arnovitz, and this is Pack Your Knives. Thank you.